listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. everybody. Welcome to another episode of ACB Advocacy Update. This is Claire Stanley, the Advocacy and Outreach Specialist with the American Council of the Blind. And my co-host is... Clark Rockfall, Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs for ACB. Thank you to everyone listening over ACB Radio, as well as the ACB Advocacy Update podcast feed, wherever you listen to your podcasts. I don't, <laughs> I don't really know. Um, if you are enjoying our podcasts, um, and you would like to find more or have them delivered to your to your podcast feed automatically, just go ahead and click subscribe. And while you're at it, give us a rating and a review. We'd love to hear what you all think about our podcasts. Um, and as always, folks, if you want to learn more about ACB, visit www.acb.org. Awesome. So this week, we are um, honored to have a guest, our first vice president of the American Council of the Blind, but also somebody with the expertise on the topic we'll be talking about today. Um, so uh, by way of introduction, uh, this week, we, meaning the United States, um, had a report delivered to us about uh, from the Department of Education. And so... We're going to talk a little bit about what that report said, what impact it may or may not have on the world of special ed for students who are blind and visually impaired. So before we jump into the deep end and talk about all those issues, uh, Mr. Mark, would you like to introduce yourself to everybody, who you are, where you come from, who you work for, your meaning of life, everything and anything. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Claire. I appreciate it. Thanks, Claire and Clark. Um, very cool. Uh, so I'm Mark Reichert. I'm the uh, uh, current interim executive director of AER, which if you don't know what that is, is the Association for Education and Rehabilitation of the Blind and Visually Impaired. And I've been doing that interim senior uh, staff role since early March as AER goes through the process of any number of transitions and, uh, and ultimately we'll be doing a search for a permanent um, executive director. And as you've already noted, Claire, I have the honor of holding the first vice president of ACB office. So thank you all so much. Um, that kind of uh, pat on the back and expression of confidence um, last summer has really meant a lot to me. Um, in my, my personal world has been a, it, it's been a, it's been kind of a wild ride here for a number of months. And, uh, and so it's just great to not only have the support of blind and visually impaired folks all over the place, but, um, people that I care about very much. And uh, wow, you really know who your friends are when you go through, um, you know, go, when, when, when life throws you curveballs. So that's, that's great. Um, meaning of life, I think I just gave it to you. Um, but uh, uh, professionally, um, you know, AER is the professional association in the blindness and vision impairment field. Uh, if you work, whether you're blind or sighted or everywhere and anywhere in between uh, and have other disabilities as well, and you happen to work uh, serving kiddos with vision loss, working age adults, and or older people who are living with vision loss, uh, you're one of our members, or you should be. Um, and I would encourage anybody to visit our lovely website at aerbvi.org for additional information. We'd love to have folks join, and indeed a lot of ACB members are um, AER members as well, which is, which is great. 
So Mark, as you mentioned, uh, life throwing <laughs> curveballs uh, to some varying extent, that's happening to a lot of people right now with the, the COVID crisis. Sure and is. That is really why we're talking about the, the subject of education, uh, remote distance learning, and this, this whole topic that we're at here today. Isn't that right, Claire? That's right, exactly. Um, you know, the work that we all do um, at ACB and our different ag advocacy organizations literally went, you know, were turned on its head and a lot of the advocacy we were doing kind of stopped and now we're doing different advocacy that pertains to the rights of people with disabilities as it pertains to COVID. So education looks a lot different um, than it once did because students now for the most part are being taught remotely. And so in spite of all of that, um, there were some ideas bandied about about what should or shouldn't happen with special ed and for our community for students who are blind and visually impaired. And so this report, Mark, this we, we call it the DeVos report because it was um, authored by the Secretary of Education, Betsy DeVos. Um, it just came out last week and it's uh, has a lot of information about what should or shouldn't happen to special ed. So can you tell us what is this report? Um, what is it? You know, we'll obviously get into deeper questions about what's going on it, but can you tell us kind of the origin of this report? Sure. Well, about, uh, let's see, we're recording this. Do, do, do we tell people when we're recording this? Uh, we can no, tell it's people. It's a okay. <laughs> well, in any case, uh, a, a month ago from today, uh, whenever you're listening to this, uh, <laughs> uh, uh, so in, in uh, when would that be? Mid-March, late March. Um, if uh, un un Unless you have been violating all of the rules to not stay at home and binge watch television by, you know, going out <laughs> and being around other people within six feet or whatever, uh, and, and therefore haven't watched TV or listened to the news, then, then, then you wouldn't know this. But there was a big effort uh, uh, in mid to late March to try to get some economic and other relief out to a host of folk, individuals, employees, business, et cetera, uh, as we all try to cope with the impact of COVID-19. And one of the things that came up as part of that process as the legislation was uh, whipping its way through the Congress fairly quickly, actually lightning speed, if you think about at the speed at which legislation moves forward, and as the two of you know all too well, I mean, sometimes it can take forever. Um, I think I think the political scientists would still say that the typical piece of you know originate a, a piece of legislation in one chamber or another, and it's a standalone piece of legislation. But the time it goes through and you you've done a major uh, change to the law, it takes between five and seven years. Uh, I don't know if that still holds true. That was that was true back in the day. Um, but this legislation was out in in a matter of days and and considering it was $2 trillion worth of money, um, it was absolutely astounding. So there were a lot of people who were complaining they didn't know what was in it and all the rest of it. But as part of that process, you know, some people were trying to use it as a way to uh, affect specific policy change that some people have been wanting to see for a while. And so for, a, a, a as legislative history goes, for a nanosecond, uh, it looked like maybe they were going to enact specific waivers for uh, civil rights protections that students with disabilities have under the Individuals with Disabilities Education Act or IDEA, under the ADA, Americans with Disabilities Act, and then under Section 504, the Rehab Act, it looked like 
there might be some interest in doing that, waiving some of these civil rights protections for a year on the theory for the, the proponents saying, well, of course, uh, during this COVID season, you know, we can't be so rigid about timelines and rights to this or that procedure. Shouldn't we loosen things up? Because don't the states need the flexibility? Well, of course, we all, all of us across the disability community, excuse me, weren't going to have it. And, uh, and so made it clear to Congress we didn't want that. And as so many things like this go, you know, the, 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 the folks on the Hill didn't want to tell the people who wanted those waivers to just go pound sand. They wanted to give them something. And what they got uh, was a call for the Secretary of Education to do a report back to Congress within 30 days uh, recommending uh, what waivers the Secretary thinks would be appropriate. Uh, and that is essentially what happened. And believe it or not, they made it within the 30 days. So we just got the report uh, back. And I think the long and the short of it is, um, and the report even acknowledges this uh, in the actual text of it, if you read it, that there really appears to be no inclination on the part of this department uh, to try to undo or curb in any substantial way the rights, the civil rights provisions of any of those uh, laws, which of course is a, is, a, is a relief. And as a colleague of mine pointed out not too very long ago, um, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll all, we should all claim credit uh, for that. And when we write our memoirs and we say, <laughs> because of all the advocacy of our organizations and our memberships, respected memberships, maybe the department heard that. And, and, but I will say this to you that I heard the same kind of concerns expressed in, when was it, 2017, uh, when the very first Trump administration budget came out and there was all this concern about you know, slashing and burning money in the education space. And then when you looked at the details of the Trump budget, you know, uh, sure, we, we know of things where initially there was some proposal about getting rid of, uh, funding for Special Olympics, I think it was, and some other things, right? It's kind of nasty, ugly things that then went away. But the truth is, uh, the Trump administration has not advocated, you know, major budget cuts or whatever in the special ed line at all. I'm not here to defend or correct or uh, critique the Trump administration. I'm simply saying to you that I think a fair reading of this would be that while we were all very concerned about what the Congress was going to do and in almost inviting uh, the administration to say, yes, and as a matter of fact, we do need to waive civil rights. The truth is the report that we got was very uh, measured and does not include uh, the kind of major poison pills that I think we were all spooked about. It doesn't mean that the Congress can't come back and do whatever they want anyway, because legislatures have a funny way of legislating. Um, so we always have to be on guard, but as far as this report goes and we'll talk about it, uh, I think it's a pretty balanced and measured thing. And to, so, to back up for a second, so Mark's referring to the, the CARES Act, the third COVID stimulus package, uh, yep. where the, the request for these waivers originated, um, included in that bill was an additional 30 to 40 million dollars for special education funding that could be used on assistive technology and other Good supports. Point. Good point. And the advocacy community, ACB, our members, um, our main charge to Congress was that 
you know, there should not be the granting of any waivers. And we, we co-signed a letter with the American Foundation for the Blind on this point. Uh, we were strictly opposed to any waivers that would negatively impact the education received by individual students or the supports available to parents of students with disabilities. Mm -hmm. And Claire, I mean, we, our voices were heard, right? I mean, this report, it, it's giving flexibility to VR and uh, educational systems, but outlined in the report is that, yes, we want to provide a, a safe and healthy working environment for educators and teachers, um, but we still need to teach individuals and provide ind individuals with the support and the training tools that they need to receive their free and appropriate public education. Yeah, so you literally took the words out of my mouth, Clark. I wanted to bring that up that um, the, the thing that I really took from it that hopefully will carry on into Congress is that two vocabulary words, so to speak, that we take from IDEA, um, the report said would not be touched, and that's FAPE, FAPE, the free and appropriate public education with the LER and the least restrictive environment. Um, so Mark, can you talk just briefly about that, that according to my reading at least, at this time, the report said that FAPE and LER will not be touched. And so I see that at least in the, you know, in the, the temporary, that those are pretty um, significant things not to be touched for students who are blind and visually impaired. Yeah, well, you're right. And, and those two core ideas of FAPE and LRE, I mean, you don't get any closer to the gospel or whatever uh, <laughs> than that in the IDEA space. And so it makes sense. It's, you know, clearly those, uh, uh, the fact that they were being extra specially careful to not want to get into those areas at all is a nice uh, gesture on the department's part to try to reassure people right out of the, out of the gate early on in the, in the report. Uh, they, the, I, I think it, um, it's pretty clear that, especially on the vocational rehabilitation side of the ledger, that there have long been calls from state folk rehab agencies and from quite a number of folks who are particularly impassioned about vocational rehabilitation to want to see greater flexibility uh, built into the existing vocational rehabilitation regulations that were issued some years ago and have been pushing for changes in one fashion or another. And, and so this report, though it's not making permanent change, is certainly acknowledging those uh, concerns by by giving that kind of flexibility. I would say, I think there are some advocates in the blindness community who either mistook what some of us were saying when we initially were advocating for before the Congress about this report or worries about it, or reading it a diff different way, maybe we should have been clearer. And I'm, I'm pointing at myself now, nobody else, but I think as a community, maybe we could have been clearer. You know, I think our communications to Congress were very much about these core civil rights provisions, uh, and we're not even so much focused on the voc rehab side, operational side or the funding issues and talking more about flexibility of use of funds and other things. So, you know, it, it's, it's the kind of thing where I think we were all very rightly spooked by the possibility that there could be rights waivers 
And then uh, we pushed that back successfully. We've got a report from the Secretary of Education. We're worried what was in it, what's in the report now, flexibility around the use of funds, most of which I think we're generally uh, supportive of in principle. And, uh, and so I don't want to necessarily say that the report is a nothing burger. I think it would probably is a what? It's a dodge bullet. And hey, uh, like I said, when we write our memoirs, we'll all, we'll all take credit for, for it. Another spin, of course, could be that it shows that this department is, in fact, supportive very much of FAPE and LRE and is really more interested in trying to be as responsive as possible to all stakeholders, um, advocates, and agency folk alike. So you just said, Mark, that we dodged a bullet. I like it. Good analogy. Um, we, let me just say one thing before I forget, because I, 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 folks in AER would not be happy if I didn't. Um, and that is, uh, you know, we keep talking about what's in this report. And one of the things that the report does uh, that recommends is that the requirements for uh, people who are becoming the next generation of professionals in the blindness field, you know, in the education space and the rehab space, when you get a scholarship to become a new blindness professional, there's an expectation that you, that you have a service requirement. Uh, and that's how you end up getting your, your schooling paid for. And one of the recommendations in this report has to do with allowing greater flexibility so that if uh, folks who are in that position are scholarship awardees and they're providing uh, service at various agencies on the education or rehab, uh, in education or rehab space, that they'll be deemed to have completed uh, that service requirement. Uh, so in other words, this COVID thing they're not going to do, they're recommending, should not get in the way of folks not being able to show that they have uh, done what they needed to do to complete their service obligation, which is a good thing. So you're just talking about that aspect of the the letter from Betsy DeVos. Um, and we just talked that, hallelujah, there were no waivers to basic IDEA um, services. Are there any waivers that came out of the report that we should be concerned about or keep an eye on or that kind of thing? Just anything that we should flag? I, I, I will be honest with you. I've not heard a great groundswell from anywhere in the, the disability community that would say, you know, it's time to go to war um, mm -hmm. over this thing. Uh, you know, I think um, I'll give you one example. One of the uh, long, a long time concern on the part of um, state vocational rehab agencies and certainly um, our colleagues at NCSAB, the National Council of State Agencies for the Blind, uh, have weighed in on this heavily, and I think a number of us have joined them, is you know, expressing concern about how the Department of Education, particularly RSA, has implemented uh, the existing requirements around, uh, it, it's more complicated than this, but devote, devoting 15% of funds toward uh, pre-employment transition services uh, uh, you know, devoting that, push, pushing the proportion of the budget up to that 15%. Anyway, the bottom line is, you know, people have had a lot of concern about that. And, and so this report suggests that perhaps there ought to be greater flexibility uh, built in around uh, pre-employment transition service funding. Uh, and, and so, you know, uh, I think the majority view is that would be a good thing. There are certainly people who would say, we fought really hard uh, for the Congress to establish this 15% threshold because we think it's a priority and that it's important to focus on that. And 
let's not use COVID as an excuse to roll that back. I think the majority view though would be, you know, flexibility in how funds are spent is something that certainly folks in the service provider world would want to see. There are there are some you know details that aren't included in these recommendations that I think might end up appearing in <coughs> excuse me in uh, uh, proposed legislation. So for example, private blindness agencies have been particularly concerned about uh, the way that older older blind funding, independent living services monies, are used, and maybe you know there should be additional details built in to any waivers that are done. So, you know, the, the thing is, this is just a report. It's just a recommendation, set of recommendations. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it is yeah, exactly perfect. what the Congress asked for. They asked for a report of recommendations and they have them. And just because a recommendation doesn't show up within the four corners of the report doesn't mean that the Congress can't do it. And, mm -hmm. uh, and they may very well. And it gives us an opportunity to, to influence it. Um, you know, the tricky part would be if somebody came along, and this is the thing I've always been worried about, right? If you let's say you have a piece of legislation that does have some major poison pills in it, but then also gives you a bunch of flexibility that you, you know, ask for. Now you're in the position of having to, you have to, you're not going to not support civil rights. So you have to be in a position of communicating to the Congress, this kind of nuanced message, you know, stop the civil rights uh, attacks, but please en enact the flexibility provision. I mean, it, you know, it becomes, and if, when things are moving at such a rapid rate, that's a hard message to communicate. But that's why they pay us the exorbitant salaries that we all get uh, <laughs> to, to try to work through that. Great. Well, is there anything else that, you know, as we finish up that you feel like um, our listeners should know about the waivers, the reports, IGE as a whole, just kind of in this current COVID atmosphere as it pertains to education? Well, the only thing I will say, and it will not come as a, a, a shock to either of you, and if we were doing this, um, if this was a video uh, conference or and, and we were having it audio described, you probably would both be rolling your eyeballs at me as I say this, but, but I think um, there's no better defense than a good offense. Uh, and uh, what I think our community really ought to be doing is always remembering to focus on what it is exactly that we want. And... I do not think that it's time for a piece of legislation like the Cogswell Macy bill to try to be squeezed into one of these pieces of legislation. They wouldn't let it happen no matter how much we begged anyway. But I think we, it, it, my, my core and only point really is that we should always be starting with what it is that we know we want. And we know that there are improvements that need to be made uh, to the educational system. We need to improve the child count for or how our kids are uh, recognized and honored uh, for all of their needs and that if especially they have other disabilities that blindness or deafness or deafblindness is a part of that mix and is fully acknowledged in the services that they are to be evaluated for uh, and actually receive. And so those kind of core things about the Cogswell Macyville should always be where we start from. And then we say, okay, well, so with that as a filter or a nice foundation for where we go from here, um, be watching diligently to see what happens with the Congress or meet with our champions, as I'm, I know we are up there to say, hey, keep an eye, you know, we're looking at anything that comes out of the Congress too, but you, you help us out. And uh, by the way, um, maybe there are some things we could propose uh, that would be, you know, waiver-like, but that would in some fashion or other 
uh, look at how we can build greater flexibility uh, into some things. I, I cannot remember right now if the, what I'm about to say is part of the report or not, but uh, Secretary DeVos has announced uh, an initiative whereby for continuing education purposes for professionals, uh, that professionals would be able to uh, sit for continuing education credits that are mm -hmm. offered outside of their individual states. I mean, this is the kind of thing where it's not so much about kids, it would be benefiting individual professionals, but yeah. essentially finding a way to maximize um, continuing ed credit uh, by allowing, especially these days, because people are desperate for such credit. So, you know, these are these, these kind of creative ideas, I think, um, are worth thinking about and finding ways to infuse, but we, we certainly will be continuing to watch what comes out of the Congress on this waiver issue and beyond. And uh, so lots of future work to do. And I like the term waiver like, I'm gonna remember that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'll also point out that there was a, a waiver recommendation for the Randolph Shepherd's vendor. Oh good, yes. Uh, yep. To allow flexibility and VR funding to be used for the replacement of spoiled items. Um, you know, a lot of vendors don't have access to their facilities right now because the government employees don't even have access to those. Exactly right. So that's certainly a provision that we applaud the Department of Education for including. Uh, my main takeaway here is stay tuned. Uh, yep. the, the report is a lot of a lot of good and common sense provisions that impact um, funding and flexible delivery of services. But we need to we need to follow up with Congress. You know, we need to keep an eye on and communicate with our members and amongst each amongst one another and other disability organizations what we're hearing and the language that is uh, being interpreted from this report. You know, Congress is still working on additional COVID stimulus packages. Uh, we hear that the president re would really like to do something big in terms of broadband. Certainly, our our community would benefit from being more connected. Um, you'd have more reliable access to education and remote employment if you had more sustainable broadband services, um, more reliable connections, but also transportation in the space that Claire is working so hard on. There's a lot of provisions there. So we'll, yeah. we'll keep on this and keep folks informed as more education provisions come down the pipeline to ensure that our members and students can still receive the trainings and support services that they need for their free, appropriate public education in the least restrictive environment. That's exactly right. Sounds great. Good. Well, thank you so much, Mark. We really appreciate it. Um, it's always great to have you back on the podcast. Um, to all of our listeners, as always, if you have any issues that you'd like assistance with, uh, please feel free to reach out to us here at the National Office or email us at advocacy at acp.org. We hope everybody's doing well during this time of the COVID-19 crisis. Uh, let us know if we can assist you in any way. Um, stay tuned for our next podcast in the next week. And Clark, what do we always tell our listeners? Keep Wash your hands. Wash your hands. That's what you always tell them, right? Wash your hands. <laughs> Wash your hands and keep advocating. <laughs> okay. Thanks, everyone. Get 
listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. You can reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The ACB Advocacy Update is a production of the American Council of the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about ACB, visit us online at www.acb.org. Thank you.